ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Wednesdays on Hard to Paint mean just one thing. You know what that is. It's the Dome Patrol with my good friend, my brother from another, the one and only Ross Jackson. Ross, welcome back for another edition. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, brother. Doing great, man. Glad to be here with you, as always. Like I always say, highlight of the week. Always looking forward to this, man. I hope you're doing well, too. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there. And, and, you know, of course, the kids get the Easter break, you know, so... Uh. Friday till through next weekend. Um, it's uh-huh. gonna be a lot of one-on-one time with the little one. Good. But we Good. did get. I did get the. Uh, we got a, the, the new TV in the one big splurge. We did our <laughs> stimulus. So we got the sixty-five incher. And last night I had to watch Michigan. Oh. Lose oh. That heartbreaker. Oh, up close. Yeah. Up close. It was that, the biggest TV I've ever owned, and the first big game <laughs> I watch on it is my favorite TV. Losing it. To UCLA. Sorry, to UCLA, yeah. Eleven seed UCLA of all of all teams, man. Yeah, no. We've been we've been thinking about splurging on the television because, you know, it doesn't seem like either of us are gonna not be working from home anytime soon. You know, like a lot of everything that we do, we're able to continue to do from home. And so we've been thinking about, you know, like one of the things we thought about was like we used to go to the movies. We ain't going to the movies anytime soon. Let's go ahead and invest in this big old TV and a sound bar and enjoy ourselves a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> that was the one thing we said, let's do this. We'll blow it out. And then, yeah, we, the sound bar is next and, and yep. the, the furniture underneath it, you know, to make it all look like the so, Yeah, but, make it look like it was all on purpose. Yes, <laughs> yes. Coordinate. Coordinate. The big thing that came out yesterday, NFL-wise, was just the the, the announce the formal announcement of the 17th game right. on the league schedule for this year. We knew it was coming after the NFL Players Association ratified the CBA, a 10-year CBA, which, again, on its own, that's a completely different discussion, which I never understand why a Players Association would agree to a 10-year Ten deal years. in yeah. a world where the finances change so quickly. Right. Uh, I I still I will contend to this day that Demore Smith might be the worst players association president in the history of modern sports. He might be one of the worst union presidents. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> because like you know I, you know I I'm a union member of, of two unions, two performers unions, uh, Actors Equity as well as the Associated Guild of um, of uh, musical artists. And so AGMA and AEA are what they're called. And, and both of those, we have at most four, five-year agreements that get re-upped every year and everything. And they get revisited every year. And, and I believe on most of them, we also have like a midpoint check, like a midpoint little like, let's touch base right quick and see how things are going uh, and everything. And so like, you know, to agree to a 10-year deal and then to put players in situations to where I feel like there's oftentimes pressure for the players, and this isn't new with unionization, particularly unionizations that have high populations of color. Uh, there's always been this influence from the NFLPA to side with the teams, to side with the owners, to side with the league, as opposed to represent its players. And that's a really tough position for players to be in because the players need a job. They need health insurance. They need life insurance. They need their families to be taken care of. They need all these other things, which they are in no way guaranteed. Uh, as we've learned from many of the folks that have retired and since left the NBA, NFL, excuse me. Uh, but at the same time, in order for them to get those things, these 17 game seasons, these big TV deals, these things are being lobbied over the top of them and leveraged over the top of them to say, if you want those things, you have to give us these things. And that's not usually the drastic nature of the way that this works. And the imbalance of power mm-hmm. that the league has and right. the leverage in short career length mm-hmm. non-guaranteed contracts right and in the fact that because there are so many people on a roster who are competing for those spots who want to play there is that sense of in football more than any other sport i cannot go against the team or the league because it will have widespread ramifications to how i am perceived by the other teams 
in the right. league. They're, yeah. they're, Russell Wilson had to fight that perception. It's the thing that, that really hurt him in Seattle yep. for a long time was that he was a company guy. The right. same with um, Donovan McNabb in Philly, that he was a company mm-hmm. guy, that he worked for the team more so than he worked for the players. Right. And, and and I think that when you have that perception, and there's a reason why the NFL union has, be called, has been called the most unattractive labor job in professional sports is because the union is so big, so unwieldy, and then quarterbacks in particular have an outsized uh, proportion of power because they, it never, no deal ever hurts the quarterbacks. Whatever money is there, the quarterbacks are getting theirs. Right. Yeah, that's the thing too is the, you know, the imbalance within the player structure itself and sort of the hierarchy that's created there the population of what that position is versus what other positions are across the field. Um, you look at the, I was just looking up really quick, the the NBA average career length is uh, about five years. And how often does a CBA get renewed in the NBA? Five about years. five years. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. If the average NFL career is three years, which is about where it is, having that length that CBA term be three times longer more than three times longer than that that is extraordinarily disproportionate i talked about my experience in working with performers unions performers at max can work for 40 50 years the best nfl player will never work in the nfl for 40 or 50 years as a player and in that union right we can exist within our unions for any extended amount of time and we re-up every four or five years it doesn't make sense. And then, as you mentioned, the power structures, there's so many different dynamics in between it, from player to owner, from player to representative to owner. Because usually when you, look at a, when you look at a union, it's sort of three different parties that are negotiating on behalf of everyone. And then there's representatives that are pulled from each of those pools. So it's, I, th- I believe in the NFL, it's owners, it's the representatives, which represent the players, and then there's league stuff. That's all a part of it. And so that's usually your triumvirate of negotiating power the league and the and the the team they're in perfect concert with one another so what you're doing is that you have more of this two on one i would even say two and a half versus a half you know because representation for the players is not always indicative of the actual player opinion as we've learned and as we've seen often it's just an unfair power structure entirely. And that's what unions are supposed to be fighting against, not playing in concert with. And when we talk about this vote in particular that passed the 17th game, um, people have to remember when that vote took place. It took place at the start of the pandemic, right. literally. The, right. the week after the NBA shut down was the vote in the NFL. And they were still trying to figure out, you know, after they had shut down offices and everything on how to even disseminate the information, how to give people the opportunity to vote. And less than 2,000 players voted. Right. 2,000 total players voted. And it passed 51.5 to 48.5. And there were a number of players who didn't vote who asked for who did who asked for information that, that said they never received information from the union about certain provisions in the vote. And then there, of course, was the contentions by both Eric Reed mm-hmm. and by Russell Lacoon, who was a member of the executive committee of the Players right. Association, that there was malfeasance on the part of the NFLPA in both changing the language of the agreement That's after right. the players mm-hmm. had agreed to it and for not issuing a revote when a number of players said they didn't get the full information on the process and wanted a revote. And I think it would have failed, certainly, if they're, you don't call for a revote if guys don't think that they want to change their minds. And they asked right. for more time and were denied more time as well. They asked for a longer time before the vote could be passed because of the pandemic and them not really having the focus at that time, you know, more fo- as we all were. We were focused on our families, what we were trying to do. And guys said, this is not, a, not the right time for us to vote. No. But the NFL it's- kept the pressure on because, again, you only got to corral 32 owners to get them to agree. But you talk right. about a player body of more than 2000 people and getting them all to understand that when you couldn't have in-person union meetings, you couldn't mm-hmm. have those types of contact. You couldn't have information, informational discussions in the same way you would. So you couldn't have guys go back and forth and banter in the room and say, this right. is what we think. And what, these are my real questions because we all know you yeah. send me a contract. You send me a player, the average player contract. 
they're going on what their union leadership, they're hoping, they're leading, just like all of us would. Do you read the entire user agreement when you get Apple? You don't. Right, right. Trusting that right. it's okay. And that's what a lot of players do. And you can't blame them for that when you're 22, 23, 24, 25 years old. And you're thinking, man, I just want to get my check. Like we said, we were talking about the security. I just need to move on so we can play these games and not right. really understand what the long-term implications are. Yeah, no, exactly. You're absolutely right. I mean, this happens all the time to where it's a reason why, you know, players have agents. Players have agents that look over their contracts and then given things like that. The, the agents don't get involved with the CBAs usually. Like, that's not that's not a part of it. They're not supposed to. That's not what they do. And so, you know, when there was, you know, you mentioned the malfeasance charge, which went public on Twitter. Eric Reed, uh, I believe it was somebody that was representing Eric Reed that shared it. Mm-hmm. And then Eric Reed himself. <clears throat> that's usually enough to get anything shut down. And get it revote, you know, get get a revote on it and everything. Especially if you can prove, which it seemed they had pretty good evidence in terms of what was made public, that yes, this language change, that usually kicks everything back immediately. That's not the case here because again, we talked about the power structure of the NFLPA and the way that it isn't balanced toward the players, and the players don't have a pull, they don't have the appropriate agency in all of this. And then you look at the fact that, as you mentioned. You're doing this vote at the beginning of a pandemic as everything's starting to to crumble, really, in terms of the NFL, who could not get its stuff together because they were trying to figure out, as you mentioned, not only the 17-game season idea and the CBA, but they needed to get the CBA done. They needed to get COVID protocols done. They needed to get everything set up in terms of what was safe to do, what was not safe to do. What are they going to have fans? What they were going to do with the draft, OTAs, all of this stuff. Like There was no, at this point, nothing was clear. And there were still so many question marks and they took advantage of that by saying, hey, all of these things are happening right now. Now try to slide this in and see if we can get past with the 17 game season. And, you know, the the one thing that the NFLPA did well <clears throat> is that they said in order for a 17 game season to happen, that uh, a new TV deal would have to get passed. But the problem is that the NFL knew that their new TV deal was coming. It was a good thought. To say, hey, we'll do it when there's more revenue. But the fact of the matter is that that revenue doesn't start to kick in until two years after the 17 game starts and a year after the new international series begins. And everything. This is not the right time to extend to 17 games. This is not the right time to do it. You're coming off of one of the worst free agency markets for players ever. You're coming off of a sunken salary cap for the first time in however many years. You're coming off of a season where players had three weeks of training camp to get into football condition and then had to play regular season games right away and many of them got hurt many of them dealing with injuries that they maybe wouldn't have dealt with when they were many of them catching covid and now having to return to the nfl after that where we still don't know what the long-term effects are many of them opting out of the 2020 season and taking a season off and now have to come into a 17 game season with three preseason games it's not the right time to do this it's very much not the right time to do this. In terms of player safety, player health, and the players, it's a great time to do it for the NFL because they just lost money, and now they want to gain money. Yep. You know what I mean? It's a perfect opportunity for the NFL, for the player, excuse me, for the owners. It's not the right time for the players, and it doesn't make sense to do this right now. Hey, do it in 2023 when the salary cap swells, when you're not saying, no, 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 we're just going to take your contract and adjust it so that you're paid out over 18 weeks as opposed to 17 weeks, but we're not going to up your contract for the extra game. You're just going to get paid less per week for more weeks. And people it forget that players sense. don't collect a check for off-season activities. They don't collect right. a check for the preseason games. They don't collect yeah. checks till week one. It's yeah. not unless it's the, unless it's in their contract and they they're getting like a workout bonus or anything right. like that. Like it doesn't start for them until that 17 week. And then some players will have like a 34 week schedule. We'll have a 30. But you have yeah, to you build that into your, your yeah. You, yeah. You have to build that into your. Today, but it doesn't, but it's not extra money, no, it's just money over yes. a longer period of time. <laughs> That's all that it is, you know. Yes. It's very much like being a teacher, where some teachers get their money right. during the school year and some spread it out over the 12 months. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, the other issues too is in comparison, you look at it what the NBA did, and the NBA is not perfect, but twice they kicked the CBA challenge or the opening period down the road twice. Because they knew what the kind of circumstances they were dealing with. And they had already had much more in place than what the NFL had done. And yet they still, to their credit, 
moved the deadline back twice and allowed yeah. the players to, to be able to have a better idea of what was coming. And like yeah. you said, so you're talking about the health concerns. We talk about the quality of games, which already was an issue. Um, and you still have the Thursday night schedule. They haven't removed the Thursday night schedule from this. Can you just save us all? So, <laughs> I mean, it's it seems, player health and it's viewer health at this right. point to get rid and, of the Thursday game. And I, I go back to something Mark Cuban said a, a while ago. It is that the NFL is going to overestimate the appetite of the public for it. Part of the reason that mm. the NFL has such great demand is because it is a limited product. People complain right. about the length of the Major League Baseball season. They complain about the length of the NBA season. They don't complain about the length of the NFL season because four months, which is 16 games basically, seems just right. right. Ending in late January, early February seems just right. Yeah. And, 17 and I, don't feel right. Yeah. I think, like, you know, adding the 17th game doesn't feel like, from, from a viewership standpoint and from, like, is it too much football? Is it too oversaturated? I don't have that same reaction to the 17th game. But what I do have a reaction to is like after the CBA is over and then they go. Because the the new CBA says that the newest CBA says that it could have expanded to 17 games, but it can't expand to 18 games or more than 20 games in a season, which includes the three preseason games. So so when I say 20 games in a season, I just mean three preseason and then the 17 regular season games. So in no way can you add another preseason game or add another regular season game or any combination or separation thereof until the CBA is expired and a new CBA is negotiated. So when I say this, I'm not saying anything about before 2030, but after 2030, my concern is that does this continue to where they say, you know what, we should add another game. We yeah, should add be, they, they want to want to even it out. Yeah. They want and even then now numbers. Yeah, and now you're doing... Oh, right, yeah. No, well, let's go to 18 because it's a prettier number. We'll absolutely be an argument. Um, and then you have, you know, this idea of, you know, the tra- the traveling series. So so the traveling series, the international series, the way that they're trying to expand this now is that starting in 2022, so no, no international series games to this extent in 2021, but I'm not going to say that there's not going to be any international games in 2021 because I imagine the NFL will try whatever. But in 2020, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, In 2022, though, is where this new international series is supposed to begin to where every team will play at least is the way that it's described at least one international game in a cycle of eight years. So basically between 2022 and the end of the The CBA. CBA, there will be one at least one uh, international game per club. So does that expand after 2030? Are they trying to reinvest in NFL Europe? Are they trying to reinvest into this international league? And then how does that affect the CBA moving forward and these players moving forward? I'm not saying, you know, I know there's always been talk about like a London NFL team. I'm not going that far, but you know, the old Jake DeLome uh, league. Yeah, you know, where the you can World go for six League of years. American football. Right. Yeah, it's where you go away for a couple of years, and then you come back to the NFL. All those things. Um, the Barcelona yeah, Dragons, the Rain right. Fire. <laughs> right. Uh, so I'll be interested to see where the end of this road is because it's going to be a long one. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the bottom line is that. To me, the 17 game doesn't really affect the game too much for me. It gives the owners more money. My concern is the health of the players and the fact that the players were taken advantage of in the midst of this negotiation. That's the biggest thing for me. There's so many decisions that will go into that game, too, Mm -hmm. because you're going to see yardage considerations for people's contracts. You're going to see health considerations for the playoffs and people think it does. It doesn't change the competitive balance, but it really might because if you can clinch in week 12 or week 13 and you're coasting for the final four, you are kind of shaping the competitive balance in a different way, especially without a second buy. Because remember mm-hmm. when the league did do the two by season um, and that was still for 16 games. Right. Now we're talking about a 17-game season and only one bye, a reduced preseason, so that means you have less time to kind of rest, which is what veterans typically use the preseason for, is to get themselves in shape. They're not playing a lot in games, but those weeks are important to them physically. Rhythm, it's routine, yeah. So you've taken one of those weeks away. You're going to lose some other physical parts of this because that's the exchange the union always gets is that there's less time in off season or there's less time in pads on practice. So you give up those things, 
but that affects you physically as well. You may not be taking more hits, but it affects conditioning. It affects timing. It affects all those other little things that we talk about. So there is a give and take there on the NFL side. And again, with the Thursday games, the Saturday games and things like that, I just think the NFL, if you're going to add the 17, eliminate the Thursdays. That to me is like, at least you take out the shortened weeks so that you don't have players taking on those double hits of yeah. having to play. Because the, the 11 days doesn't matter to them. People think, well, they get 11 days off after that. It still doesn't hurt less. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing. Is they think that they recover. Oh, it's easier. Yeah, they're, 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 but they're still in pain when the next game comes up. After week one, they all say, you're in pain every week. You're in pain yeah. every week. And then the short yeah. weeks are just worse. Right. Yeah. Uh, and this is this is the other thing, too, just with the shortened preseason, just to go back to player health for a minute and player safety, because it's something I I I care about a lot. I think we both care about a lot. Mm-hmm. The the shortened preseason is another thing that has a huge effect on players specifically this year that are coming out of, you know, the complete middle class of teams being decimated by the salary cap. And now all of a sudden you have a team that has completely had to rebuild the middle of its roster and is not going to have any opportunity to build any, as you mentioned, rhythm, communication, chemistry, anything like that, like you would usually do with those preseason games, nor do you have the opportunity to get guys back in shape either. Guys that opted out, guys that, you know, didn't play as much in 2020 because of COVID issues or because of injuries connected to COVID, all this other stuff. So that's the other concern for me is that the lack of preseason at this time doesn't make sense. Next season, I think there's a, enough of a conversation for it. But this season, lean into the prep time and making sure that the players can be safe. I mean, we saw what, it ha- what happened with Cesar Ruiz. We saw what right. happened with Zach Bond is that they we never got to see what their real potential could have been as rookies right. um, because they never had the prep time. And it, and it does. Coaches have said it. Players say it, it. It really will impact the those bottom of the bottom third guys on the roster yeah. because you get less opportunity to put some some work on tape during mm-hmm. camp to right. show that you belong, and you get less reps in games because now they're only three. So you, that right. means your starters are going to play more in one of those games than they might typically as you try to warm up for the season, which means less reps for those guys trying to make the roster. And it it changes everything. It changes the dynamics. And people have to remember that there are guys whose careers will be altered forever because of this one addition. Players and coaches should organize an all 16 games tie week one. (laughs) (laughs) Go out there, run your reps, but don't cross the goal line. Run your reps, do everything. Don't cross your goal line. Shoot it like a scrimmage. Yeah, exactly. Scrimmage, take all your starters out at the, you know, or, or don't even start them, you know, give them a drive or something like that. And then zero, zero across the league, all 16 games, and then get ready for week two for week. Scripted one. plays. That's we're right. Just, we're running our offense. <laughs> treat, it, treat it like a preseason scrimmage, like a scrimmage and exhibition game. No scores, all ties. Great 16 game season from here forward. We're Gucci. And we got an extra preseason game out of it. Now, the problem for the Saints is the 17th game that they've added is to go <laughs> on the road and play the Tennessee Titans. So you're a, re- a retooling team right. with a new starting quarterback, and you're going to end the season on a road against a team that's done pretty well for itself the last two years um, and is bringing back most of the band. So, yeah, it's, that's not a fun way to end the season for the Saints. Yeah, yeah. And I think we'll have to see. Like, we're calling it the 17th game, right? But is it really the 17th and final oh, game yeah, of yeah. the we schedule? We don't know if the or, schedule has right. been Yeah. So, like, we'll have to see, like, where this slots in. It's very it important. Could be, it could be terrible for the Saints, right? Like, because if it's on the end of the AFC East, you know, a couple of AFC East games or something like that, or if it's it's toward the tail end of a couple of first place games, or which this, of course, is also a first place game, uh, or if it's on the tail end of a road trip, right? Another three game road trip, like going to Nashville and playing a team that's going to be pretty cohesive, has done a good job improving its defense. The last time you played against them, you didn't have to face their their all pro running back in, in Derrick Henry. What I talk about with this game all the time is that the two biggest phases of this game that are going to be most important is going to be the Saints who are rebuilding their defensive line as they lost three of their top snap getters uh, on the defensive line. And then you have you have to go up against Derrick Henry right away, who you didn't have to go up against in 2019. So you got lucky there. And then this you have. And then the other part of it is going to be that retooling defense for Tennessee that 
might look pretty good, honestly. Like they're doing some really interesting things and they're, and they're making some good moves. And so, and you know, the rematch with Janoris Jenkins is there too, just for fun. But the Saints then have, you know, a new quarterback, whatever they're going to do at the second receiver spot, whether it's going to be one of the younger guys that slots in, that's, that slots in there, or it's going to be, you know, a, a late free agent or potentially a draft pick or a trade piece. Uh, then all of a sudden you have this offensive chemistry that you're still working on and you're going up against a pretty talented defense here who really needs to bolster their pass rush still they haven't done enough mm-hmm. there but which could be good for the saints but it's just going to be interesting those two phases of the game while the saints are retooling both of those major major elements and and it's just a, a huge physical challenge anytime derrick henry's on the field um he's just mm-hmm. there are not people built like him just no that's that's a defensive end running the football I mean, <laughs> quite literally. I mean, he's that big. Yeah. But speaking of defensive ends, the Saints did sign one um, recently uh, from the Kansas City Chiefs, a guy who has potential and has the physical yes. frame, everything you're looking for, the physical tools. Um, in Tano uh, Passignon, um, a guy who's been in the league four years, um, really became a starter the last two seasons, five mm-hmm. sacks total, but only one of those came last season. Had about five pressures last year as well. Um, has made 23 starts in his last 32 games. What can you say about him? Um, again, like you said, hasn't gotten to that level that that maybe he was expected coming out of school yet, but all the tools right. necessary. Yeah, I mean, he feels a lot like Marcus Davenport in a way, right? In terms of his size, his build, his speed, his athleticism, and then just trying to wrangle all of that in. He's six foot seven, 289 pounds, ran a 4'8 coming into the NFL. And I know we're watching punters run 4'3s right now at all these pro days. But the fact of the matter is that like, if you're 4'8, if you're running a 4'8 at six foot seven, 200, nearly 300 pounds, you're moving, you're scooting. And so he's got great athleticism. He's got, as you mentioned, all the physical tools and everything. He's got great length uh, those are all things that you want from a defensive lineman. The biggest thing is just going to be body control. And that's that's a given when you have a guy that's that big and moves that quickly. Body control becomes a very big key part of the development process for those players who often don't get it coming out of college and certainly don't get it with a school like Villanova. No offense to Villanova, but not a, not a school known for developing you know elite talent and things like that. Particularly I think what Howie Long is, is, was the last big name to come out of Villanova right. defensively. Right, exactly. And so now you have, you know, this guy who's coming in, he has this great size, this great length and, you know, this great ability in terms of his athleticism. But now you have to sort of rein it in and then convert some of that athleticism to agility and make him a little bit more agile, a little bit more concise with his movement, him being able to maybe turn corners a little bit tighter, make his movements a little bit less extraneous, right? Less wasted movement and things like that. Those are going to be the biggest things. But then you have his this, this guy with this great motor who will just keep fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. As long as the quarterback has the ball, he keeps fighting. A lot of his sacks come deep into a snap clock, seven, six, seven seconds in to where good coverage downfield, which the Saints will need. Um, you know, like so that's that's the next thing that they need to continue to work on is filling right. out the cornerback position. Um, and then he's just that guy that will continue to fight. He plays inside on the interior. He can also rush from outside on the edge. And he's a good special teamer, too. Blocked two field goals in two weeks uh, a couple years ago. That was in uh, an extra point in one game and then a field goal against the Patriots in another game. And so he, he brings a lot of tools. He's somebody that fits in well with what the Saints do. They have 11 defensive linemen on the roster now, six of them six foot four or above, all but two of them at six foot three or above, uh, all but one of them above 260 pounds. Noah Spence is the only one that's under that mark. And then Zach Bond, if he ends up being an edge rusher, but I still classify him as a linebacker for right now. And so I, I like what they what they did here. And it's a great contract. It's a contract that can be a one year, one and a half million dollar deal, or it can be at most a two year, five point two five million dollar deal because he has a sack escalator in the 2022 season and and 17 games to get to that sack escalator now. So there, there there's there's parts of the contract that I really, really like both for him and for the team that they were able to sort of add another piece to that defensive line as they continue to learn more. And I don't think they're done there, but you know, they are able to add another piece to that defensive line for a on a cheap enough deal while also still giving Ryan Nielsen some potential to work with because this is a really, really this is a guy that packs a lot of potential and if developed correctly can contribute really quite a bit to the Saints defensive line. Yeah, I looked at, at some of his tape after um I saw the signing. 
and you're right. The thing that, that I think is his problem is he, he gets up high. He gets mm-hmm. up too high. And mm-hmm. we always talk about the leverage of being the low man, offensive lineman trying yeah. to get up underneath your pads and push you up. Well, he tends to give that up early. And he uses right. his natural strength, like you said, to, to, to engage or to break free. And he has incredible strength. I mean, upper body-wise, you can see the power that he has. But it's just, yeah, it's, I think it's it's learning those twists, learning how to get his body a little bit and turn those shoulders a little bit more. And the Saints have been so good at teaching those techniques. Um, mm-hmm. you, you hope that they're able to, 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 to take that to another level. And if he can pan out, again, he gives you that flexibility of in a four-man unit to be a defensive end, in a three-man group to play maybe inside in a speed rush capability um, in that regard too. So he can play the tackle position in certain um, uh, groupings. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this is a team with New Orleans that you never, you don't sign a New Orleans on the defensive line if you do one thing, <laughs> especially if you come in as a free agent. You, you drafted, that's one thing, but if you come in as a free agent, it's because you can do multiple things. And that's absolutely what uh, Pesigno can do. And, and one of the biggest things that you see from his four sack season in 2019 versus one sack season in 2020 is, first of all, an increased number of snaps in the interior in 2020. And if you're rushing from the interior, you're usually there helping to get vertical push on the defensive line, open lanes for other players, be there for stunts, or you're a run defender. You don't usually get a lot of sacks. David Onyemata is special with what he does. Uh, Sheldon Rankins, in the seasons that he had, you know, six, four or above sacks, special. That's why guys like Cortez Kennedy and Warren Sapper are in the Hall of Fame, because defensive tackles don't do that. Exactly right. So you saw the boosted number of defensive interior stats for Passanio in 2020. But then you also saw him move from the right side to the left side. He went from taking over 50% of not just his pass rushing snaps, but his total snaps from the right side in 2019 to over 50% from the left side in 2020. That's a big shift for, for him. That was a big shift for him. And now in New Orleans, if he rotates with Marcus Davenport on the right side opposite Cam Jordan, he's possibly in a much more comfortable situation at that point. And I think that that would work towards his benefit while also still being able to rotate toward the interior. But still, if he shows enough potential and he learns how to use that length, continues to learn how to use that length, he already does, but continues to learn how to use that length, continues to uh, make his movements more suffice and more efficient, then he can be somebody that helps out big time for the Saints line. Absolutely. And again, that versatility is so huge. Something that hit hit the news recently and, and obviously is a concern, especially considering the timing, um, the arrest of Marshawn Lattimore in Ohio, uh, back in Cleveland. Um, his, his folks say it's not that serious, but it's always serious um, for players because of the way um, the perception is of their actions, the way the league can handle this, what the repercussions could be for him on the field. Um, and of course, just in general in life, you don't want to see people in right. these positions, but they're just, there are, there are a lot of potential ramifications here. Can you run through that really quickly for, uh, for folks? Yeah. I mean, let's start off with the human ramifications, which is that if he's charged with this, which would be a fourth degree felony for receipt of stolen property, which this all, let's, let's also go back a little bit. This, this all happened in Cleveland, Ohio. He and three friends were in a car together. They were pulled over by a gang unit, which anyway, that raises a lot of questions yeah. for me, but that I guess, should we really be surprised? But, but, um, two of them were arrested for, uh, you know, gun charges in terms of having, owning, uh, be, possessing a gun with a disability, quote unquote, which means that they are on parole or have some type of a, a standing charge that doesn't allow them to legally own a firearm. And then another was charged with uh, reckless handling of a firearm in, in a vehicle. And then Marshawn Lattimore was charged for receiving stolen property, which we believe is also a hand, was, was a handgun. And this happens. This happens uh, to where it's, you know, a, oh, I didn't know it was stolen type of a situation. There is also now an opportunity, though, that he has no priors. He has no standing record. He's been cooperating. His representation has been cooperating, all of this. So there's a chance that he walks in, pleads, you know, guilty to failure to disclose or something like that, as opposed, and it takes a reduced sentence or reduced charge than the fourth degree felony that comes with receiving stolen property above a certain 
uh, price. Yeah, of a certain, certain value. Thank you. And so that becomes the next part of this conversation is what exactly does he um what exactly does he get charged with? And then in terms of the repercussions of all of this, on the personal side, if he gets charged with a fourth degree felony, it's a loss of rights. I mean, yeah. like like that is something that takes you from being citizen to sub-citizen. And it's an unfortunate truth in our country that that happens, particularly in nonviolent offenders and everything. And I know that guys like Demario Davis and Benjamin Watson have been fighting quite a bit in Louisiana to get you know, opportunities for nonviolent offenders to have their rights restored, allowed to vote, allowed to, you know, um, you know, apply for jobs without having to check off a box that marginalizes them from the rest mm-hmm. of the, the, the citizenship, things like that. But, you know, in Cleveland and or Ohio, I, I don't know what that's looking like. I highly doubt anything is happening there that would work towards Marshall Lattimore's benefit. So there's that part. There's the family portion of all of this that we should also discuss. I mean, this is a potential six to 18 month sentence if he's sentenced for this specific charge, which again, we don't know if he will be, but just looking at sort of worst case scenario, you're looking at a fine. His bail was set at about $5,000, 10% in order for him to walk away. He seemed to be out the next morning or the Saturday morning following. Um, if he sees any type of a jail sentence, it could be postponed. It could be a postponed sentence so that he continues to play out his season or his, you know, however long, how many seasons he can postpone and then serves his time. There are other things that could be done in terms of all of that. But the ideal situation here is that as he has been cooperative, as he has no prior convictions, no prior felonies, no prior record at all, uh, that he's able to get something that's a little bit more reduced or that's different than this fourth degree felony. And that would be the that would be the ideal situation. I don't think there's anything here, if I could just be honest, that says that this is a character concern or that says that this is a repeatable thing, because this is the first time we've seen anything like this with Marshawn Lattimore. And it's an unfortunate situation, but it doesn't have to define him and it doesn't have to be a Nor should oh, well, it. Right, exactly. And there are a lot of folks right now that I've seen that are taking sort of the attitude of like, oh, well, now he's a troublemaker. And it's like, not necessarily. I mean, maybe one bad decision, maybe one bad place, maybe one bad time. But this is not a violent offense. This is not, you know, 15 plus lawsuits. This is not, you know, a track record here that says that this person has continued. There's no recidivism conversation here. This is simply one wrong time, one wrong choice, one wrong place. And and if and we have to remember, too, this is the perception is colored. And I hate to say it that way. But quite oftentimes it's colored by who does these things. Yes, of course. Because we live in a country where you have a large segment of population that says gun ownership is a right and you should have it. Bah, bah, bah. And if it, this had been, if, it, you know, these kind of mistakes, if, if, if Marshawn had said, well, look, I'm, I'm trying to protect my family. I'm a wealthy individual. I purchased a handgun, whatever. And, and I, I felt like the need to protect myself. But, you know, this wasn't in the commission of a crime. We were, these are my friends were driving around and I happened to be armed or whatever. If that's what it is. Um, again, this, this stuff will come out. How is he different than than so many of the people who get lauded for this, for people who bring firearms into the nation's capital, into the seat of power and say that they shouldn't be denied that right to carry it into where a legislative body. And we're talking about a guy who is driving around home with his hometown, basically with some friends and you get stopped. And then you talk about we talked about the the misdemeanor of failure to inform. That's one hundred and eighty days and a one million one thousand dollar fine. I would imagine, like you said, his attorneys are going to say, look, this is a high profile individual. He has no record. He'd be gladly to play pay the higher fine, do community service. If he's got to serve some time, if it's 20 days or whatever, you can do that in the off season. We've seen guys get do it for two days at a time over weekends and yep. come back. <laughs> yeah. We've seen all kinds of arrangements made. Right. But I don't think the best interest, if there's no other crime involved, if there was no intent to commit crime or anything, I don't see how right. the public, and that's what the justice system is supposed to be about. How is the public served? That's exactly right. Yep. How is the public served by Marshawn Lattimore being in prison? Like right. that, that to me, it, there's yeah. no, there's no benefit for us as a side. He doesn't learn something from that. That's not what this, you know, and we don't gain right. something from that. So, right. You're not, you didn't just increase safety by taking somebody off the street who had no intent to commit a crime. You know what I mean? Like you didn't do a service. You wouldn't be doing a service in that situation. So I hope it doesn't come down to that. I think that the Saints, 
again, more so Sean Payton than anyone else. Uh, mm-hmm. The front office is going to be the front office, and they look at it from their perspective. But I think Sean Payton, who has had some missteps of his own in his life um, and made some decisions that would be considered questionable, mm-hmm. I think he's going to understand. And I think there won't. Yeah. There may be some internal punishment just to like, hey, man, don't, don't do stupid stuff. But right. I don't see this being something that the team, the locker room, or that coaching staff is going to hold against Marshawn. Not at all. We have to think just two two seasons ago, if I remember correctly, the Jefferson Parish Police Department or Sheriff's Office burst into David Onyemata's apartment and busted him, you know, had like drugs, quote unquote, uh, in his apartment on, on one of those random raid, you know, drug raid, drug drug bust thing that I wish we would get rid of across this country. But it it. You know, that ended up being an arrest for him. And two years later, he got a contract extension because it's like, who, like, why? Like, why are we busting down somebody's door and apartment, destroying property for a little bit of pot? Like, this makes no, this makes no sense. And so, you know, David Onyemata had that issue. And I thought that was handled appropriately and fairly by the team. And it didn't, uh, you know, escalate into anything that it didn't need to be. You saw, um, PJ Williams, who got arrested for, I can't remember if it was a DUI or a DWI, apologies, but intoxicated driving, which is a terrible and stupid decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, he didn't get cut from the team. It was something to where it was like he didn't have any record of consistently doing this or it being a problem. It was a stupid decision that put a lot of people's life in danger, including his own. But it was an opportunity for a learning experience for him. I believe he served a suspension, if I remember correctly, at the beginning of that season. Mm-hmm. And then he was back with the team. And I think that this as, you know, out of those three, probably to me, the most serious one being the DUI slash DWI, because that is the closest thing to a violent offense out of either of these other examples with this, you know, possessing of uh, of a stolen, I'll, I'll just say a stolen firearm, because that's what we understand it to be at this time. Of course, we don't have all the information yet. We have that's part of the, the investigation that's still taking place. You know, th- there's so many parts, pieces to this that. You know, come down to sort of the, the social issue and the human rights issues, and then also what, how you how you lead a team and how you lead an organization, right? It's the same thing you would have to make a decision on if you were a business owner for, you know, not a professional sports organization, and this happened to somebody. How would you look at it, right? You look at the character of the person, you look at the the track record of the person, and you look at what they have to offer to you know in terms of their their continued growth and improvement, and how can you best support that. Yeah, this isn't overlooking Aaron Hernandez. This isn't overlooking not the same thing. Right. Um, you know, right. a violent, you know, uh, Greg Hardy. It's not that. It's, right. It, it's it's none of those things, and I think that that's you don't want to start characterizing incidents that that average individuals go through, right. that human beings throughout this country go through, and making them into things that cost um, people their credibility, their 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 humanity and, and, and possibly their freedom. Right. So, uh, yeah. Um, let's transition to something a little more positive. Pro days are going on. Mm-hmm. Um, the saints are certainly active participants. They've been all throughout the country as they always are looking for players. You've been participating in some mock drafts as well. Who are some players that we may not have on the radar that the saints are considering and, and how do you see, um, this draft playing out a lot more people have the Saints trading out of the first round um, as of late than staying in. Yeah, which I think is an interesting exercise. But the fact of the matter is the Saints haven't traded back since 2007, right? They did it in 2006. They did it in 2007. Haven't done it since. So I wouldn't put any money on them trading back. Uh, but if they were going to do it, this would be a really good class to do it with. This would be a very good draft to do it in because you can trade a first round pick back into two second round picks or even a second and early third and walk away with starters in this draft, particularly at the wide receiver position, the defensive interior position, at the cornerback position, which are all things that the Saints might need to address at, you know, at the draft. Now, I'll be surprised if they walk into the draft with a hole at their starting cornerback position opposite Marshawn Lattimore. That would surprise the hell out of me if they did that. That does not feel like something that the Saints would do. Uh, whether it's TJ Carey, who they brought in for a visit last Thursday, uh, about a week ago, or it's, you know, Richard Sherman, who they've had, you know, who they've been linked to early on in the thing, whatever. Um, Quentin Dunbar is another one that has been recently linked to the Saints by some rumors sites, but I wouldn't say anything creditable, but I like Quentin Dunbar, uh, and I think he would be a good addition for the Saints. But the issue here being where, you know, is it in the MO of, of New Orleans, right? What are the things we know about the way that New Orleans drafts? They don't draft two, 
they don't draft with the first two selections on the same side of the ball. They draft one on offense, one on offense or defense, and then the next pick they draft one on offense, one on defense, uh, alternating. So with all of that being said, this is a very good offensive draft from rounds one through probably round five. This is a very good defensive draft for maybe it's round round one through round three. So I prioritize defense in this draft, particularly defensive interior or uh, linebacker. Would be the big ones. We saw the Saints, Mickey Loomis, and I believe Sean Payton at the Alabama Pro Day. And I think a lot of people saw that and went, oh, they're interested in Mac Jones. I don't think they were there for Mac Jones. Mac Jones won't be there. Mac Jones won't be there. There there is that, right? So like so a lot of people were like, oh, well, even if he's not going to be there, then maybe they're getting a look at it so they could decide if they want to trade up. If their decision to trade up for Mac Jones was based on that pro day, they ain't trading up for Mac Jones. Mac Jones did not have a good pro day. But I don't think that the Saints were there just... I think they were there to get a look at Mac Jones. Everybody should have been there to get a look at Mac Jones. He's a quarterback in the draft. You do your due diligence and you research the quarterbacks in the draft. That's what's going to happen. But I think they were there to get a look at Christian Barmore, personally. The interior defensive lineman that was there. Um, He's incredibly athletic. He is big. He's stout. He's a penetrating three-tech. He's a vertical pusher. He's somebody that can disrupt a defensive line. If you need to replace and continue to replenish the defensive line, which I think they do, I think they still have work to do there, despite this recent signing, that would be a damn good player to add in place of Sheldon Rankins and to put next to David on Yamada day one. He would be a plug-and-play starter for you immediately. So that's one that I would certainly watch out for um, that I really like. And we know that the Saints, they always start in the trenches. That's where the game starts for them. So that's one that I would definitely keep an eye out on in the first round. Yeah, that that's an interesting pick. And plus, when you know where you're getting Bama defensive linemen typically, and I'm not saying they mm-hmm. all pan out, right. no, but but the one thing you know you're getting is that they've been coached consistently as as if they were, because that's what Nick Saban is about. He's he right. he, he brings a pro level of the pre, the way practices are scripted, the way techniques are taught. That's his thing. So you right. know that these guys are going to come in and have the mental capability of understanding how practices go. They're going to understand the work schedules. They're going to be prepared in that regard. So that you you couple that with great talent, and then you hope that, hey, this does benefit. This does work out much more quickly. And that's what you're looking for if you're the Saints exactly in, the, in round one, is you can't, you can't have a developmental pick in round one this right. year. Right. Yeah, you have to go with somebody that's going to give you – something pretty immediate if you go to certain positions i mean if you go to i wouldn't even say that i think yeah if you get in the first round you're looking for somebody to make a difference for you for this team absolutely like if they're in a different position in another year like you know you go back to when the saints already had ricky and they drafted deuce because they were like well you know hey this is the best player we see on the board we're taking deuce Right. Well, you don't have that luxury this year because yeah. of what you've lost. Like I said, particularly at the linebacker spot, particularly in the defensive line, you feel like you, your secondary is solid. At the very least, you have a solid secondary for yeah. the most part. You may, Like you said, you want to add a starter at that corner position, but really what you're looking for in the secondary is more depth. Um, that's the, the thing you're trying to fill back out. But that D-line, yeah, you had losses. You right. have to replenish Absolutely. some things there. Now, linebacker spot opposite DeMario has been a question mark for both of his seasons. So mm-hmm. you really want to have somebody more talented alongside him. So, yeah, I think it's, 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 um, it's, it's, you don't necessarily have to hit a home run, yeah. but you got to get a strong, a solid double you, here. Yeah. You want impact. You want impact. You want to get on base. <laughs> that's what you want to do here. And I think that that's, that's a, a really good point. Uh, another two players that I'll mention are a pair of linebackers that I think are getting some first round love, but people don't tend to associate them as first rounders. Um, Ohio State's Baron Browning is one, and then Kentucky's Jamin Davis is another. Jamin Davis is like pure, clean cut coverage corner, uh, excuse me, uh, linebacker. That's that's who he is. That's what he does uh, coming out of Kentucky. Uh, six foot four, 224 pounds. So he fits the profile for the Saints. Same thing for Baron Browning, who's six foot three, 241. They both fit the profile. I think probably if you were to go with Jamin Davis, you might ask him to put on a little bit of weight, but not too much. Because again, he's he's a coverage guy. He is Quan Alexander, essentially. Um, maybe a little bit less in terms of his ability to key and diagnose and react, to diagnose and react very quickly. You'd still 
want to train him up in probably that area if you're trying to replace Quan Alexander one-to-one. But if you're just focused on getting a Will linebacker out there that can help cover next to Demario Davis, he's a really good option. Baron Browning, a little bit more all around, can cover, can diagnose, can attack the run, can tackle, can do a little bit of everything in that way. And so both of them are guys that are getting a little bit more, I'll say first round consideration. They're becoming fringe first rounders. And those, those are two names that can jump into the first that people might not be expecting because we tend to look at first round linebackers as simply being, you know, Micah Parsons, Jeremiah Osukoromoa, and then maybe Zaven Collins and Nick Bolton. And that's kind of where the line ends for most people, for most people. But Baron Browning and Jamin Davis are two that I would definitely watch out for. And we know the Saints affinity for Ohio State players, too. They sure do. <laughs> they, they love sure do. And it's worked. It has. And it's worked. It's know? paid off. I, I have yeah. to admit it. I guess outside maybe of the one exception. Yeah, I was to say Antonio Pittman may be the one example. And then uh, Kurt Coleman, when they went and got him in free agency, yes. those might be the big that, one. Yeah, that was on the back end. Kirk was, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's worked out for them for the, yeah. by and large. Um, this the, Another week we get closer to those things, to the draft, getting closer mm-hmm. to um, do, do we think that there are going to be some more free agent workouts coming in um, in the near future for the Saints? And then um, in those draft preps, anything we should be watching out for? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think at this time, keep an eye out for any news about second meetings, repeat meetings with players, um, and keep an eye out for any meetings with players that attended the Senior Bowl. Those are the things that I would sort of watch out for because that would be them with having sort of a second touch base or meeting with a player whose pro day they attended. Just watch for repeat contact would be the thing that I would I would be keeping an eye out on here. Uh, and then in terms of free agency, yeah, I expect they'll continue to do work in free agency. They'll need to free up salary cap space as they do it. It's exactly as we talked about where they're not going to clear $15 million worth of cap space and then fill it. They're going to spend the money and then make the money and right. then spend the money and then make the money. They're going to they're gonna put it on the credit card. They're going to pay it off, right? They're going to go the layway route. And so, uh, so that's why they've been doing it. And uh, I think we'll continue to see that. Extensions could be something to watch out for for Ryan Ramchek and Marcus Williams still. I think the Marshawn Lattimore one probably waits until we see how this whole situation unfolds, of course. This would be a weird time to say, all right, here's six years. Uh, <laughs> you don't feel yeah, really. like that's the thing. is like every team thinks of the Aaron Hernandez thing. And it's not right. that. Again, this is not that. Yeah, it's that. completely different. Yeah, But that's the first thing that goes through general managers is we give a whole bunch of money to a guy and then he goes to jail. Like that's, right. that's the fear. <laughs> So whether, yes, for whatever yeah. the circumstance is, you don't want to extend somebody and then have them spend a year in jail. Right. Not at all. Not at all. So, I, again, I, I don't know that that happens to Marshawn Lattimore, but certainly the Saints are not going to give him money right now. They'll wait to see how this whole situation plays out, which is the right choice. Because yeah. um, you just don't know. Because not only are you banking on Marshawn Lattimore, you're banking on a justice system that has shown implicit bias against people that look like Marshawn Lattimore for its entire existence. So it's tough to say, no, this will all work out. You know what I mean? It's hard to do that. And that maybe that's just me coming from the like the pessimistic, Afro-pessimistic uh, viewpoint of it. But if nothing else, it's Afro-realistic because that's certainly what we've seen over time. Look, um, you know, you know, when Marshawn's <laughs> lawyer is like, we got this covered. Not, not, no matter if 95% of him is like, my lawyer is great. This is going to work out. Right. There's that little voice in the back of his head that goes, brother. <laughs> <laughs> It ain't done. Right. Until yeah, it's just, done. Right. Until you, you, you see them say you can go home. Right. It's all good. Yeah. And then and then on your way home, have somebody else drive you home, watch your back. Like just don't drive don't, home. Wear yeah. just like a t shirt and some shorts. <laughs> right. Nothing that you can conceal, anything. Wear, right. wear a track uniform yeah. and just go, go home. That's right. That's and right. Stay Get in the house. Uber. Show up time to go to camp. Leave like you're going to the combine. Nothing to be seen here. We're good. And taking Uber home. Um, yeah, yo, like it's 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 real. It's really real. And so, I mean, that those are things that I would watch out for. I, I still think the Saints will do some work in free agency. Again, them going into the draft with a massive hole, their second cornerback position does not make sense to me. I don't think that they'll do that. Um, they don't you know, like to be in that position to have giant no. needs. That's not yeah. who this organization has been. Right, exactly. And so what I wouldn't be surprised to see is either 
a signing happen before the draft at the cornerback position or the draft happen and then a signing happen at the cornerback position after the signing no longer counts against the compensatory formula after the draft. One of those two things. Even if you go into the draft with that hole, I could still see them still addressing the cornerback position a little bit later on in the draft. A little bit you later could have, on. You could have an agreement too exactly. with that player. It just doesn't hasn't been signed. You haven't announced anything, and you're you know you reach that agreement. You say, hey, we just need to do this. Then we, we, yeah. we could be we got terms. We're good. Yeah. Just for us to get it, we got to do right. it. Then. It's the old Bill Belichick. <laughs> It's the I mean, old Bill Belichick. And players, as long as they know the money's coming, unless somebody throws some more cash at them, and we've seen that happen, and I don't blame yeah. the guy if somebody throws me a significantly more better offer, you didn't sign mine. So, hey, right. I, I got to do what I got to do, and security is what you want. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I just can't see the Saints never want to be in a position where they are in need. Right. That's, that, that is not how they operate, and I just don't anticipate them operating from that position now. And I'm, I'm still surprised that teams have that, that these, all these um, prognosticators already have them ranked. as like in the bottom half of the league because yeah, they, what they lost and you could say about Drew Brees and all these things, but they didn't lose anything that was irreplaceable. That's the part to me is they didn't lose anything that was irreplaceable. And if even the most conservative estimates you make for Jameis Winston, if he, if he's a starter, if you say 3,500 yards, 28 touchdowns, 11 picks. Mm-hmm. I still see the Saints going at least nine and eight right. in the 17 game season. Yeah. So, I mean, that puts you to me, I, like, if the very minimum is nine and eight, and I think that they can play above that. Yeah. Maybe not four or five games above that. But I mean, is 11 and six something that you would, you would rule out for this team? if it doesn't sign somebody of a big, big name, just if they just right. had this group with a, with another starting corner in, I still see this as a team that can win more than half its games. I, I hearken back to the 2010 season for the Saints, which was Drew Brees led, but it wasn't 74% completion percentage Drew Brees. It was 68% completion percentage Drew Brees, but it was a 4,600 yard season, 20, 33 touchdowns and 22 interceptions. If you were to chart and I, and I did this over at Locked on Saints, if you were to take Jameis's interception percentage, touchdown percentage, completion percentage, and yards per catch from 2019, not the 2020 5,000-yard passing season or the 2020-30 interception season. I did the slam poetry thing. I took away the high. I took away the low. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about the middle. And then you add in, you know, 34 passes per game. That ends up being about a 4,600-yard season, 29 touchdowns, and 22 interceptions for Jameis Winston. The Saints that season went 11-5 and on 33 touchdowns and 22 interceptions thrown by Drew Brees with the 28th-ranked rushing offense in that And season. they will not beat the 28th-ranked rushing offense. Exactly. 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 And I think, and again, I think there are, there are elements to this game that will be to this offense that weren't there in 2010, besides just the rushing part. Yep. I think there will be elements to the way Sean and Sean Payton has a play caller is much different than he was then too. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm not as low on on the Saints as other people are right now. Yeah. I just I'm not going to count them out. All right, my brother. I think that'll do it for another week, and we'll be back with more next week. Tell the folks once again how they can catch you each and every day of the week. Yeah, absolutely. Always a pleasure to be here with you, man. Every Wednesday here, the Dome Patrol, always glad to be here. Uh, y'all can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, NOLA, NOLA. You can catch uh, Locked On Saints every single Monday through Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and you can also catch up all the writing over at uh, CanalStreetChronicles.com, the SB Nation site covering the New Orleans Saints. I'm going to have a three-play three breakdown uh, three plays, three pros, basically, of uh, Tano Pesigno, uh the the new signing for the Saints over on the defensive line going up tomorrow morning on Thursday morning. So I'm looking forward to that dropping. And, and those those mock drafts and also the newsletter. Oh, yeah. And the newsletter that I've been tweeting. Yeah, yeah. I've been sending out every other week because I'm trying not to inundate people too much, but I'm doing it every other week. So I have another one coming out this weekend that'll recap everything that I did this week and stuff. So you can sign up for that uh, over at Review, uh, Ross Jackson Nola on there as well. Uh, But I also post it on Facebook and everything so that if you don't want to subscribe to it and fill up your inbox, you don't have to. But I always throw it out on uh, on Twitter as well at Ross Jackson Nola. And you can also uh, go and check out Locked on Saints, the Locked on Saints page on Facebook as well. I try to post it there too. 
All right. And y'all know how to get at me at DM Grub on Twitter and Instagram and the website HITPwithDG.com. And on Monday, we'll be launching the new HITP store. Got some new cool stuff in there as well. And that'll be through Shopify. So a lot more access to the store there and some cool stuff. And we'll have some uh, specials, um, you know, that first week, first month, maybe. Maybe go through all through April, run some specials. So y'all check that out. Until next week, this has been Ross Jackson, David Grubb, The Dome Patrol on Hard and Pain. Y'all be good. Hey.